Welcome to the Do Life Better podcast, where we believe that you get to create who you have been and who you become, and that it's often the smallest changes and actions that make the biggest difference. I'm your host, Dave Jorner, and each week I will bring you the best guests, tips, and messages to inspire and help you and me do life even better. Thank you for joining me today. Now, let's get started. Hi friends and thank you for choosing to spend some time with me today and whatever it is that you are doing today, if you are on your way to school or work or uni or doing stuff around the house or exercising, whatever it is you're doing, I hope you are taking those small little steps to help you do your day even better, to help you show up better for whatever it is that you are going to today and to be that better person for those around you and even just for yourself. So again, I hope you're making those small little changes consistently with purpose and discipline to help you do each and every single day just that little bit better than yesterday. By the way, how did you go with last week's challenge? Remember the episode last week was with Jason Gilbert, and how did you go with Jason's breakfast challenge, which was drinking a litre of water with lemon, ginger, and garlic for a week and skipping brekkie, or at least putting it back an hour? How did you go with that? If you haven't tried it, give it a go. I've been putting my breakfast back an hour and it's actually been creating a greater sense of clarity for me. This week coming, I'm going to try the water, ginger, garlic, lemon and turmeric. I'm going to try that one this week and see how it goes. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I highly recommend you go back and you check it out. Now, speaking of food and breakfast, today's guest, would you believe, went an entire year eating only potatoes. Now, Andrew became a viral sensation when the world heard of the story of his personal challenge to eat only potatoes for the entire year of 2016. However, this was not just a stunt to gain 15 minutes of fame or about the potatoes. It was much more than that, as you'll hear in this chat. You see, in late 2015, the former junior Australian champion marathon kayaker was in the depths of despair after yet another failed attempt in a lifetime of dieting that had left him heavier than before at just over 150 kilos. From his black hole of clinical anxiety and depression, desperate to be the man he hoped his young son could look up to, he had the realisation that he was a food addict. So he decided to treat this addiction the same way you would treat any other addiction, through abstinence, or at least as close as you can get. With the media frenzy that followed his Spud Fit Challenge story came the opportunity to help thousands of other food addicts deal with their own food psychology issues while losing weight and getting healthier along the way. Andrew's first short book, The DIY Spud Fit Challenge, a how-to guide to tackling food addiction with the humble spud, was co-authored by his wife, Mandy Van Zennen, and has helped many people to break the shackles of food addiction. Andrew now spends his time coaching others through food addiction, through the Spud Fit Challenge Academy community, speaking, making YouTube videos, and interviewing groundbreakers for his own podcast. He has also just released his second book. Now take a screenshot of this episode, put it on Instagram, tag Andrew at SpudFit, that's SpudFit, tag me as well. We'd love to see what you are doing today when you're listening to this episode. So now let me introduce you to Andrew SpudFit Taylor. Andrew, thank you very much for joining us today on the Do Life Better podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Let's do it. Absolutely, and thanks for squeezing us in too. You've just finished a whole day of work at a school down in Victoria, and you're, we're, we're walking you home this afternoon, Andrew. So uh, thanks for your time, Savi, mate. Really appreciate that. 
<laughs> no worries. Thanks for keeping me company on the walk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, all good. Just watch out for those cars. Now, I first, yeah. came, I first came across you a few years ago when I saw you on one of those morning shows. And I think they were in your kitchen and you're preparing a potato meal or you're eating or something. Anyway, I remember there's been lots of potatoes and tomato sauce. And um, <laughs> from that moment years ago, I had no idea that, that it would get this big for you. Um, but also that years later, you and I would be sitting down here, well, not I'm sitting, you're walking, but years later, yeah. we'd be having a chat you know, about just your your journey and, and the movement that you're creating right now. So just to get started, what led you up to that moment of going, you know what, let's just go potatoes for a year? Like, tell us a bit about, you know, that, that backstory of yours. Yeah, yeah. You know, most people seem to think it was just some sort of spur of the moment decision. But yeah, there's a there's a big sort of backstory to it. The short story, I guess, is that I was struggling with severe clinical depression and anxiety, and uh, and I was morbidly obese, and you know, life was going down the toilet. And basically, one day I realised that, that you know I've tried a thousand times to lose weight and I always regained it, and I I realised that rather than trying to lose weight, my problem was a problem of addiction rather than weight, and that if I wanted to actually you know, get on top of my weight and my health, then uh, I needed to treat it like an addiction problem rather than a, a weight loss problem. So everyone has probably known someone that has been an alcoholic or at least a cigarette smoker or something. And we all know that these people often can go, you know, a few weeks or a few months even uh, without smoking or drinking or something. And then, uh, you know, sure enough, an occasion comes along when they say, oh, you know, it's a special occasion. It's my best friend's wedding or whatever, and I'll just have one drink, and then I'll go back to being sober tomorrow. And you know, sure enough, that that one drink turns into, you know, maybe not on that night, but very quickly uh, over the near future, turns into being into full-blown alcoholism again. And you know, that that, that sort of behaviour mirrored the way I was behaving with food. I could do really well for a short amount of time, and then you know, one little uh, slip up. Uh, would would turn into, you know, full on binging and, uh, and weight gain and back to all the problems that I always had. So, you know, I figured that if the behaviour was uh, was along the lines of addiction, the same as other addictions, then the solution must also be the same. So, uh, yeah. So the the potato only thing was uh, was my attempt to basically use the abstinence model to to treat my food addiction. And, uh, and yeah, so, you know, an alcoholic should quit alcohol. I figured a food addict should quit food. Uh, but obviously, we can't quit food entirely, so... No, that's, that's a yeah, bit I difficult, isn't it? We need uh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I worked out that, uh, that you know, I could quit everything except potatoes. And, and, uh, and that was as close as I could possibly get to, to yeah, the abstinence model. So, that was, that was the process, the thought process behind the idea. And, um, and yeah, we just went from there and I ended up going for a whole year on only potatoes and it, and it changed my life. So it's a basic history. <laughs> yeah, nice. Thanks. So I believe you had, you went through a lot of research into if you're only going to eat one food, what food would it be? So it wasn't just like a knee-jerk reaction in Kaleidoscope potatoes. You did a lot of research into that. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So once I had this idea of quitting all except one food, I spent the next 
six weeks probably I'm doing yeah, two to three hours of research every single day for about six weeks. Uh, I've got a science degree, so that helped me with, uh, with reading the science on nutrition. And uh, yeah, so I was reading published peer-reviewed studies. I was watching online lectures from nutrition scientists and doctors. I was reading books. I was watching documentaries. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of research that I did over, yeah, over the, that course of about six weeks before I decided that if I was going to do this thing where I'd quit all except one food, then potatoes would be the logical choice. But yeah, I didn't immediately think I'm going to quit everything except potatoes. I, I had the idea to quit all except one food. And then, uh, and then I set about researching to find out if that was even possible, first of all, and if it would be possible to remain physically healthy uh, doing that. And then if it was possible, then which food would be the best one to choose? So uh, yeah, after about six weeks, I set it on potatoes and, uh, yeah, away we go. Wow. And I also understand that you had like medical support. Um, you, you had yourself checked regularly. So, um, you, you did this the right way. Again, you didn't just jump in blind. As you said, you did lots of research and you had a lot of support as well. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, I had a doctor that was supporting me for the whole year. So I had uh, pretty regular medical checkups and blood tests and, and, I also had uh, DEXA scans, which is uh, yeah, a, a sort of a high-tech sort of scan that checks your your body composition basically, so the makeup of your body of uh, of fat and bones and um, and then yeah, everything else. So yeah, that was that was cool. And yeah, I even went to uh, to Adelaide University. They got me to go along there to because they were working on some new kinds of testing. So I became a guinea pig for them and. Got some pretty uh, in-depth blood testing through uh, through their sort of groundbreaking program that they'd come up with. So yeah, it was pretty in-depth, and uh, and everything throughout the course of the year, everything just got better and better. There was uh, every marker that everything that we could measure just continued to get better. So it was pretty groundbreaking, then you're saying? Yeah, well, it was. You know, as far as I know, well, lots of people have done similar things before, but uh, as far as I know. I was, I was the first person to do this, you know, with all the testing to go along with it to just know exactly what was going on with my health. And, and also, I was, as far as I know, again, the only person, the first person anyway, to, to treat, uh, to try at least to treat food addiction with that abstinence model that an alcoholic or a cigarette smoker or any other kind of addict would use. So, uh, yeah, that was, for the reasons that I did it, at least, I was the first person to do it. And um, and yeah, it was, it was a life changing thing for me. So I'm, I'm glad I gave it a try. Nice. So at what point did you realize that it was actually a food addiction? It wasn't just this, uh, a want to eat lights. It wasn't just emotional eating. At what point did you realize it was beyond that? Yeah. Well, there's a specific moment actually. I, I had a, uh, you know, yet another, um, time in my life where I had tried to lose weight and get healthy and I did really well for about a month and, uh, yeah, I was, I was going really well. I was eating well. I was exercising. I was losing weight. Things were good. And then at the end of the month, I just told myself one day that, hey, I've had a really good month. I've done a good job. I deserve a reward. I'm just going to have a slice of pizza for dinner. Mm. And, uh, and of course, you know, just like that story I told earlier about how alcoholics behave, that, that one slice of pizza turned into, you know, the, a whole family-sized pizza followed by ice cream and soft drink and you know everything else and then mm. the next day I was in the afternoon I was 
of course, I didn't go back to, you know, my clean eating ways that I had for the last month. I got up and had a terrible breakfast and a terrible lunch. And, <laughs> and uh, in the afternoon, I was just feeling really uh, annoyed at myself and angry and sad and, you know, the whole roller coaster of emotions of being a, a total failure in life. And, uh, and then, yeah, I just thought, well, you know, life's pretty shit, so I might as well grab a beer. That's the best way to make things better. <laughs> so I went to the fridge and uh, grabbed a beer and, and uh, then I took it back to the couch. And as I sat back down on the couch uh, and cracked the beer, that was the moment that I went, hang on a second. The, the way that I'm treating food is, is exactly the same as the way an alcoholic would treat the beer that's in my hand. And, um, and then, yeah, that was, that was the, the moment that I realized that it wasn't a weight problem that I had. It was an addiction problem, and I needed to solve the addiction problem. I needed to stop focusing on the numbers on the scale and, uh, and yeah, focus on the root cause of what, what was going on. Because the numbers on the scale were – that was just a symptom. That was – you know, the symptom is that I'm getting, I'm, I'm putting on weight and I'm feeling terrible about myself. But the cause of the whole thing was the addiction. So, you know, we're always better off dealing with causes rather than symptoms. So, yeah, that was what I decided to focus on. Not everyone would have that level of awareness that you had. As you sat down with the beer, you open it up but, and then it, it clicked for you that, hang on, it's the same as alcoholic addiction. Again, not everyone would have that level of awareness. Yeah, well, neither neither did I until that moment. You know, it had been a long time that I'd been overweight and been trying to lose weight, and and uh, and had been trying everything, every diet known to man. And you know, so I'm I'm just like most people in that. You know, for the ten or fifteen years or twenty years previous to that, I also didn't make that connection. So uh, yeah, it just happened to be a set of circumstances which aligned for me that uh, finally allowed me to, to realize what was going on. But yeah, I don't really think that makes me unique because, you know, I didn't realize it in the 15 or 20 years before that. So mm. yeah, yeah, it was just, just, uh, it just worked out that way. <laughs> sure. So then what was your driving force? What was the, the motivation for you or to, to actually to crack that addiction and then to see it right through? What was that? Because it must have been quite difficult at times. And was there a driving force? Yeah, the first couple of weeks was, you know, the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, but once we, got, once we got through the first couple of weeks, I, I sort of started to get a handle on things and started to understand the way things work for me and, uh, and things got much easier from, from there and on. And it was really just, uh, yeah, I was sort of got in a groove for the rest of the time. But uh, yeah, that first couple of weeks was really hard. And, uh, and the, main, yeah, the main driving force behind it was my son actually because mm. uh, he was at the time he was two years old and and uh, yeah I'd had a realization a little while earlier that you know I've been a teacher for a long time 15 years at the time and I realized that yeah basically no matter what I did uh, that my son was going to end up like me and I'd seen that so many times in you know parent-teacher interviews every time you do a parent-teacher interview the the kids are always just like their parents of course, kids rebel against their parents and try to do whatever they can to be different from their parents. But the essence of the kid, the core of their being is always very, very much like their parents. So that was a really scary thought to me, being a, a morbidly obese, depressed, anxious, hopeless mess. 
it was a scary idea to think that no matter how hard I tried at being the best dad I could possibly be, my boy was going to end up just like me. So I needed to change who I was, basically. I needed to become someone that I would be proud for my boy to become. So that was the real driver because I was at a point in my life where I just didn't really care about myself. I'd sort of given up hope on everything, really. I just was pretty hopeless. And uh, when it wasn't about me anymore and I had to remind myself that I'm not, it's not about me, it's about creating a future that I can be proud of for my son, then it had a lot more meaning to me. So, yeah, that was what kept me going. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes when we focus on ourselves too much, we just end up in that downward spiral. You know, we chase happiness too much, we chase meaning too much, and then we can't find it, so we just get more and more negative. But as soon yeah. as we start trying to be there for someone else or lift someone else or, you know, like, again, having children for me, we were speaking before we started recording that we both have children about the same age. And, um, you know, for me having two sons, it's made a, a big difference for me as well in terms of my the meaning in my life and who I'm being and how come. Yeah, for sure, 100%. What a huge example you've been for your son. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know if it's about setting an example or anything. It's just a – yeah, it's just – it's sort of hard to explain. But, yeah, it's really hmm. – they're, they're not – the kids are far less affected by what we tell them to do than they are about, you know, just – copying the way we are as people. It's just, you know, they, our example is it's far more important than our words. So that's, that's what it's all about. I guess being a good parent is much more about just being a good person than it is about teaching the kids the way to do things. You teach them with your actions. So, yeah, that's, that's what it was all about. Yeah, so true. And um, earlier you were saying that, before you started this, you felt like you were hopeless. Um, you were in a not a good space at all, yeah. And I don't know if that's just you being harsh on yourself or not, because I didn't know you back then. But um, so, if that's how you felt you were, you were beforehand, how long did it take you into this whole Spud Fit challenge? You know, eating only potatoes. How long did it take you into that before your mental health and your overall sense of well-being really started to pick up? Yeah, good question. Yeah, it was. Uh... I remember like pretty much every day was a it was a dark, depressing sort of day for me before I started this. And I remember, you know, I did have good days from time to time, but they were few and far between. And I remember like after maybe two weeks, I had I noticed that I'd had two good days in a row. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. I wonder what's going on there. Because when I started this, I had absolutely no expectation that it would do anything at all for my depression. I just I'd given up on the depression side of things, but, uh, but you know, I just, it was all about the food addiction. And, um, yeah, so I noticed after a couple of weeks that, yeah, I've had two good days in a row. What's going on here? That's a bit weird. That doesn't happen. And, uh, and then, yeah, maybe after about a month, I noticed that, oh, I've had three or four good days in a row now. This is interesting. And then, yeah, a couple of months in, it was, like, totally reversed to the point where, you know, instead of the good days being few and far between, it was the bad days were few and far between. So, you know, I'm, I'm human, so, and humans have bad days. So, uh, you know, and I still have bad days from time to time, but I, I have a normal amount of bad days, whereas instead of every day being bad, then they're just every now and then, you just, things don't go quite right and the day's not great, but uh, 
it's a different kind of bad day as well. So, yeah, I guess so. That's a bit of a long answer. But I guess I first noticed things improving after about a couple of weeks and then it felt like things were totally 180 degrees by about two months. Well, you must feel like a completely different person now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel, yeah, totally. Well, it's sort of, yeah, I'm still the same person. But, uh, but yeah, my, my experience of life is very, very different to what it was before. Yeah, for sure. So, again, for the difference between a food addiction and just the cravings, how do you know if you just crave chocolate, for example, or ice cream or pizza or whatever, and if it's a full-blown food addiction? How would you know? Because we don't, as you said earlier, we don't often hear about food addiction very much. We hear about drug addiction, alcohol, or, or workahol, you know, workaholism, that type of thing, other types of addictions, but not really food addiction. Like, how do you draw the line? How, for our listeners, like, how would they know? Okay, well, the, the way I define food addiction is if you are eating unhealthy things and you know they're unhealthy and you know that they're taking you further away from the person that you want to be in one way or another – but you do it anyway and you feel like you're powerless to stop doing it, then that's addiction, you know? Right. That's, I just look at it the same way as an alcoholic or a cigarette smoker. You know, pretty much every cigarette smoker wants to quit cigarettes. They know it's bad for them. They know it increases their chance of lung cancer and all these other nasty diseases. They know it's a bad idea, but they do it anyway, and even though they would rather not. If your behavior with eating mirrors that, then it makes sense to me that it's a food addiction. You know, if you walk down any any main street, cafe strip or whatever, you're going to almost certainly see someone who's obese eating something like cake or ice cream or chocolate or whatever. And, you know, if those people are happy with that, then that's fine. I don't think that's an addiction. If they're genuinely happy with the state of their health and their life and their they're making conscious, informed decisions and they're content with the whole thing, then that's fine. This is not about weight per se, it's about, yeah, if, um, I think most of those people, not all, but most of those people who are eating cake and donuts and ice cream and are morbidly obese, they know that they're making bad choices and they know that eating the donuts is not a good idea. They know it's going to make them gain that extra little bit of weight. They know it's taking them further away from being the person they'd like to be, but in a sense, they're powerless and they, they make those choices anyway. So, yeah, that's if it, mm. you know, if it, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the key point you said too about you know it's bad, but you're powerless against it. You have no power to stop yourself. It's like the food is all controlling. So, what what's it like? You know, being in that situation, knowing that you shouldn't be in this, but you are powerless to stop yourself. What's that reliance like? Yeah, it's a a strange thing. Uh, Yeah, it's sort of really hard for me to explain, I guess, but it's powerlessness, I guess, is what it's all about. It's just like, I guess the best thing I can describe it is is sort of like an emotional immaturity thing because for me and for a lot of other people, it comes from a place of, yeah, not being able to deal with emotions and you know, we feel a strong emotion and, and we need to do something with it because it's, you know, it's an uncomfortable feeling, but we don't know what else to do. And, you know, we know that 
chocolate cake's going to give us that uh, feeling of, um, you know, momentary satisfaction and happiness and excitement and all those sorts of things. And it's, it's going to distract us from whatever that sort of pain is that we're feeling. And um, we've got no other ideas of, uh, of how we're going to handle that. So it's almost like that's the only place to turn. Yeah, I read a really good quote from uh, Russell Brand a while ago that sums it up, I think. And he was talking about that, you know, an alcoholic doesn't have a drinking problem. They have a reality problem and drinking is the solution. And really that's how it felt for me. Yeah, food is not the problem. My reality, the way I'm living my life is is the problem. And um, and yeah, food helps me deal with that. So it's a really confusing and, uh, and tough time. Yeah. For me personally, like I... You know, there's people in my life, for example, who are addicted to smoking and they've wanted to quit for a very long time, but they just can't now, as you said earlier. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, there's a moment when they give in, there's, I don't know, there's it, the, the craving is satisfied, but then after, shortly afterwards is back again. So how do you, how do you overcome that craving? Like if you do feel this sense of powerlessness there, how do you overcome that? What's your first step? What do you do? Uh, to me, it's it's about having uh, about having tactics in place uh, that you're going to follow. And I didn't really, I didn't when I started this, I didn't, I had no idea how I was going to do it all because I'd never been able to do it before. So I didn't know how I was going to do it this time. I was not like suddenly I had all these ways of surviving that I didn't before. It was just the difference, I guess, was yeah, that it was more important than it had ever been. It felt like. Yeah, like we talked about with my son, it was a, it was a big deal. So, uh, yeah, that's the first thing is to, to make it more important than it's ever been before. Find a, a reason that's bigger than yourself, um, a motivating factor that can, that can uh, something that can motivate you and nothing else can. And for a cigarette smoker, that might be, you know, understanding that people who smoke cigarettes are more likely to have kids who smoke cigarettes in the sense that by continuing to smoke, you are contributing to the higher likelihood that your kids are going to smoke and therefore the higher likelihood that your kids are going to get lung cancer and die young. So, you know, that could be a motivating factor. But that's that's where it all starts, I think, just finding a reason that's bigger than yourself that'll uh, make you want to uh, plumb the depths of your mind for uh, looking for answers when, when you're in, a, in that struggling time where you really want to give in, but, uh, but you know you shouldn't. So... Yeah, that's that's the beginning for me. So, do you still have those cravings now? Uh, every now and then, I, I do. Yeah, it's it's not like I never. I wouldn't say crave. Craving is probably the wrong word because I think a craving is a really, uh, you know, a strong desire. But mm. you know, every now and then, I'll walk past a, a cake shop or something, and I see something that looks yum, and I, I think, yeah, I wouldn't mind a bit of that. That'd be yum. But. Uh, you know, in the past, that thought would have been, if I didn't immediately go and get the cake, that thought would have bounced around in my head for the rest of the day or even the next few days until I eventually went back to the shop and got the cake. It would have been this big internal debate, this big um, dialogue, you know, in my own head about that I've got to get this cake. You know, it would have been totally draining on my, on my psyche and it would have been, yeah, real a real battle until I finally gave in and went and got the cake or if not the cake I saw in the window, then at least something like it. And, and these days, every now and then, I walk past the shop and see the cake and go, oh, that looks, that looks nice. 
But rather than letting that continue on, my very next thought is always, yeah, it looks nice, but it's going to make you miserable. So we're not going to have it. And, and that's where it ends. So, yeah, the, the whole experience is very, very different because I've, you know, I've strengthened that resistance muscle with a lot, a lot of practice over a long time now. And, you know, I've taught myself ways to get that emotional support and comfort and enjoyment from other areas of life. And I've got a sort of a toolkit that I carry with me everywhere I go for that sort of, you know, just ingrained behaviors and ingrained thought patterns that are totally different now to what they were. So, uh, yeah, mm. so I still get those little cravings, but they're no big deal. Yeah. Actually, it just reminded me then, I used to have this big thing for KFC, particularly when the cricket was on, because it seemed like most of their sponsors were KFC. And I'd always go out during the lunch break on the cricket and get KFC for my wife and myself. And that was a time I was probably putting on some weight. And But I also I always felt terrible afterwards. Like my body and my energy just had a massive slump afterwards. So my way to stop that, is every time I saw a KFC ad or drove past the KFC and thought, oh, that looks good, I did what you said just before about I then associated that with that terrible feeling I had afterwards. Yeah. So every time I saw, I saw that or McDonald's or whatever it is, whatever it is I didn't want to eat, I'd associate that straight away with that yucky feeling afterwards and then sooner or later I just, I'm not attracted to those um, fast food outlets anymore. Yeah, definitely. That's a huge strategy for me too. You know, when we think about all oh, that KFC, geez, I could have some KFC, that'd be lovely. All you're thinking about is that eating experience of, you know, putting it in your mouth, chewing it, swallowing it, all the smells and the tastes and everything that goes with it. You know, there's no point arguing that that's a bad experience. It's a good experience. We enjoy that, mm. that, that part of it. But, um, you know, the reality is that within probably 10 minutes of that meal, you're going to be feeling you know, guilty, shameful, remorseful of, of having done that. You're going to have that food coma. You know, if you're like me, then you're going to probably have a bad night's sleep because, you know, the food's not digesting properly because it's not natural food. Uh, the next day, you're going to be still feeling guilty about it. On top of that, it's going to add to you your weight gain. It's going to um, exacerbate the depression and, you know, the mental health issues that are going on. There's all these sorts of aspects to it that we don't contemplate in the moment. And if we can take the time to really get in touch with the true reality of the decision that we're making and contemplate, yeah, the entirety of, of the choice, then it makes things very different. So, yeah, that's a, a, big, a big thing that I do as well is just, just taking that time to really understand the full implications of the decision you're making rather than just, hey, this is going to be a nice meal to eat. That's right. Let that gross feeling afterwards outweigh the nice sensation of eating it. <laughs> Put your focus on that. Yeah, and when you take the time to really, yeah, when you take the time to really contemplate the overall decision, the overall experience, it's really, you know, it's an easy choice. If you if just take a few minutes to really, uh, yeah, get in touch with the full weight of the decision, then, yeah, it's not even a choice anymore. It becomes easy. That's it. And... Um, as I mentioned before we started recording too, I also work in lots of schools around the country and it's kind of like nearly every second day we get offered pizza or a sausage sizzle. And I feel really guilty, but I always <laughs> turn it down because I have like my salad and stuff with me. 
And then the students and teachers sometimes look at me, or the teachers are more understanding, but the students look at me as if I'm crazy for not having pizza or a sausage sizzle. But again, I kind of, like, I've associated that, that yuck feeling afterwards so strongly now that it's not even an issue. You know, like walking into a food court, for example, all the other ones aren't a temptation anymore because of those internal thought processes that I've changed. And that's something that you mentioned earlier as well. You, like your, your thought processes now, you said, are far different to how they used to be. So, and yeah. we, we started talking about, you know, what are those things you can do when you start feeling that craving? And you started with, you know, have that why, have something that's bigger than yourself. For you, it's your son. So then what's next? So like, what are those thought processes? We just spoke about some now, but what are some of those other thought processes that you changed that are really different now? Okay, well, the, the first thing is, and I don't do it anymore because I don't really have the need to, but in the beginning, I always had potatoes with me all the time, everywhere I went, no matter what. Because, yeah, when, when you get hungry is when you make your worst decisions. So I wanted to always have potatoes with me so that, when I got hungry, that excuse of being, well, I don't have potatoes with me, so I've just got to get, a, you know, a donut, which is a, obviously a silly um, decision and it doesn't make any sense. But, but you know, in the mind of an addict, then we have a way of, uh, of convincing ourselves that we're making the right choice. So uh, by having the, you know, potatoes with me all day, every day in a big box ready to go, that took that excuse out of it. And, um, and then... Because I had the potatoes with me, I could play some little mind games on myself. So the first thing I learned was that uh, I call it first eat potatoes. So I would tell myself, and this happened a few times in the first couple of weeks, that I would be driving home from work and uh, stop in at the McDonald's car park and think, right, I'm just going to get some McDonald's. I've had enough. And I would say, okay, you can eat McDonald's. No problem. You can eat it. But first thing you have to do is fill up on potatoes because I've got the potatoes there. So fill up, like really stuff myself and eat as much as I could of, of this healthy choice that I've already got with me and then see what happens to the cravings. And by the time I did that, by the time I was full on potatoes and I mean really full, the cravings are always gone. Mm. So that was a pretty simple thing. And that was probably the most important thing, I guess, was just, you know, once, you, once you're full, of, for me it was potatoes, but for any super healthy food, once you're full, the cravings will be gone. It just it works every time. Um, so that was a really big one. Another one that was also really important was reframing the idea of sacrifice. So when we think about, uh, you know, people always talk about, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to give up cake or donuts or whatever it is, or cheese. People always talk about cheese. I don't want to give up cheese. I love cheese. I couldn't do it. And I always think it's really important to reframe the the idea of sacrifice. And I have this saying now that. If you don't sacrifice for what you want, then what you want becomes the sacrifice. So, mm. you know, this, this choice of uh, you're not choosing between give up cake or nothing. It's, you, your choice is either sacrifice cake or sacrifice your long-term health and happiness. You know, sacrifice cheese or sacrifice your long-term health and happiness. It's not – there's always an opposing sacrifice, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So they're the two big things along with – then, yeah, taking that time to, uh, to contemplate the full reality behind your decisions is that's the crux of what I do. And there's lots of other little, you know, tips and tricks and strategies and things that I do. But, yeah, those are the real, they're the big ones. Yeah, understanding the true nature of sacrifice and, and yeah, being prepared. So 
I'd love to hear some. Thank you. And I'd love to hear some of those other little tips and tricks as well. Like, are there some quirky ones? Are there some that you think other people won't understand or do? Like, what are some of those other little tricks? Oh, not really. There's not really anything that's super weird, I don't think. Like, one of them is that there's a scene from The Matrix that I used to often replay in my mind, you know, where Neo in The Matrix, uh, he, he gets in the car with Trinity and the other guys. And mm. as soon as he gets in, pull a gun on him and they get this machine out and they're going to get a bug out of him. There's a bit too much happening all at once. And he sort of freaks out and goes, stop the car. And he wants to, so they stop the car and he opens the door and goes to get out. And Trinity grabs his hand and, and says, trust and and the camera is looking down this long, dark, rainy um, laneway and it stretches off into the distance. It's a long, depressing sort of road. And yeah, Trinity grabs his hand and says, trust me, Neo. And he says, why? And she says, because you've been down the road before. You know where it leads and I know that's not where you want to go. And I thought, and then he, of course, closes the door, gets back in the car and away they go. And I thought, about that, you now I apply that to myself a lot of times as well, where when it was, I'd done so well and I felt like oh, I need a reward or whatever, I deserve this donut or chocolate bar or whatever it was, I would remind myself that I've got a rich data bank of history that shows that if I make this decision to have just a tiny bit of cake just this once, that it's not going to work out that way because I've done that so many times before and I know that it always leads back to binging on food and regaining all the weight and, yeah, life being crappy again. And, yeah, so I have to remember that. So that was a big one. And there's another one, uh, there's one of my, well, probably my favourite poem of all time. It's called If by Rudyard Kipling. Mm -hmm. And I used to read that poem every morning. I still read it pretty regularly but not every morning. But, yeah, that was a real motivating thing. It's sort of... Uh, it's a poem that he wrote for his son and it's sort of rooted in stoic philosophy. It's just a really uh, inspiring and motivational poem for me. So that was another one that I would just have that. Are there a couple of key lines from that poem that really stick out? Yeah, well, my favourite line from that poem is, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. Yeah, that's, that's mm. my favourite line from it. And that's about uh, understanding that, it, to me anyway, the way I interpret that is, it, is it's about understanding that, that life's not about winning or losing or success or failure or any of those sorts of things. It's just about doing what you need to do regardless of what's going on around you and, you know, understanding what the right choice is in the moment and taking that choice regardless of the consequences. Yeah, so that's a real motivating line for me out of the poem, but the whole poem's amazing to me. So I have that saved in my phone and... You know, if I ever need to, if there's a moment where I'm, I'm feeling, you know, even it's not really about food these days anymore because that's pretty under control. But, mm. you know, pretty regularly I get that out and read it just to center me and, uh, yeah, just keep me moving in the right direction. Nice one. It's really important, isn't it, just to have, again, reconnect with that deeper sense of why and whatever that motivation is, again. And I think um, – it, it, it's strengthened, isn't it, when you have many forms of motivation coming from different areas, like the poem, the scene from from the Matrix, your son, um, your ideal self for, for you know for the future. It's it's you know, making the reward greater than the threat is so important, but then also having that why and that purpose behind that is so strong is critical. Um, Absolutely, yeah. So. Yeah, you've created this whole spud fit thing now around eating potatoes and 
Look, I probably should ask you at the start, how come the potato? What, what's so special about the potato? Why not a banana or a carrot or, you know, thank God it wasn't broccoli, yeah? But, look, <laughs> why a potato? <laughs> yeah, well, basically it had the most evidence around it being the best choice. So, you know, that we've got historical evidence of populations having survived on close to nothing but potatoes. The obvious one is the Irish population went for a couple of centuries where... 95% of their calories or even more sometimes came from eating potatoes uh, and they, they went through a population boom uh, and they were noted at the time as being bigger, stronger and more attractive than their English counterparts who had a very different diet to them. Even though they've got you know, very similar genetics, they, they were eating in a way that allowed them to be bigger and stronger and noticeably more uh, attractive as well. So that's that's a big one then there are other populations around the world with similar stories the okinawans in japan are the the longest lived people on the planet they've got the most people that reach 100 uh years of age and and upwards of 95 percent of their diet uh calories in their diet come from sweet potatoes and yeah there are other populations that we could talk about as well uh there were studies done there was a study in the 1920s which was a good one which was uh, a marathon-running couple from Poland were studied and followed eating only potatoes for six months. And at the end of six months, they ran personal best marathons, which, you know, you're not going to run a personal best if your diet's not good. Mm. So, yeah, that was one. There was examples of prisoners of war being fed only potatoes and being very fit and strong and healthy at the end of their time in prison. You know, we see photos of prisoners of war uh, that are, you know, looking you know, pretty deathly and skinny and not great. But, uh, but yeah, typically those are fed, you know, diets of just plain rice or something and, and that's not the best idea. But the guys, the, the prisoners of war that were fed only potatoes, yeah, they, they were physically at least. Obviously, psychologically is a different story, but physically they maintain good health. So, and then, yeah, you can also go into the uh, nutritional data that shows that potatoes supply, you know, everything you need and, uh, they've got all the protein that we need. They've got fat. They've got, obviously, everyone knows they've got carbohydrates, got iron, they've got calcium, you know, everything is there. So once I weighed up all the evidence, then potatoes were just really the only logical choice. <laughs> Shame it wasn't chocolate, hey? <laughs> yeah, that, that might have... Uh, might have been interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There'd be many, many more people doing it with you. Um, so yeah, yeah. What's your diet like now? Like a average menu for you each day? Like what would that be like? Uh, well, I eat a whole food plant-based diet these days. So my diet is made up of uh, fruits, vegetables, grains and beans. Uh, nothing. I don't eat any processed foods. So that means nothing. No oils. Oils are something people don't seem to understand is that oils are highly processed foods. And, you know, I don't eat any sugar as well. Everyone acknowledges that sugar is a highly processed food. So I don't eat those, um, white flowers, things like that. And I don't eat any animal products either. So no meat, no dairy, no eggs. Um, yeah, all of these choices are made because uh, the, the food addiction is the issue. And food addiction, a big part of it comes from the way eating food triggers a dopamine response in your brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I call it fireworks in your brain or a foodgasm. When we eat, I don't know, that I can't, I've got to do the translation, but uh, most of the research is done in the US. So they talk about calories and pounds instead of kilojoules and kilos. But the, uh, 
once you get above 400 calories per pound in food, then that's when it starts triggering that dopamine response, the foodgasm, and that's when things become addictive. So my choice is to eat only foods that are below 400 calories per pound. And yeah, so that basically just means fruits, vegetables, uh, grains and, and beans. And that fits in with a whole food plant-based diet as well. But I call what I do uh, a whole food spud-based diet. So yeah, I eat all those things just with an emphasis on potatoes. Okay, so uh, if our listeners would like to get in contact with you, I know that you have that Spud Fit program and everything. What would be the best way for them to reach out? Yeah, just through my website. Uh, just go to spudfit.com or you can email me, andrew at spudfit.com. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm spudfit on all the social medias too, so Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, I'm spudfit. So just follow me there and contact me, email me. I answer everything, so... If anyone's got any questions, just send me an email. That'd be the best way, but do it however you like. Excellent. We'll put all those uh, contact details up in the show notes as well. Yeah, cool. No worries. Okay, so in terms of doing life better, so being the Do Life Better podcast, I like to ask all of our guests what doing life better means to them, given their different experiences and backgrounds and so on. So for you, Andrew, what does doing life better mean? Well, to me, it's really all about just trying to get uncomfortable, make an effort to be uncomfortable because really the majority of the problems in our lives, I think, come from yeah, getting in a rut, for want of a, a better word, for getting set in our ways and just continuing to do things a certain way just because that's the way we've always done them. And I think we really, uh, you know, life's not progressing when you're doing things that way. So making the comfort, conscious decision to be uncomfortable and challenge yourselves and get outside the comfort zone. That is ultimately what leads to people improving themselves and uh, becoming better people. So, yeah, that's, that's my idea for doing life better. Nice one. Actually, with that, the idea of going to only potatoes, that must have been pretty uncomfortable, not just for you, but for your family, for your friends. Like, there must have been a lot of people doubting you. There must have been... Uh, you must be copying a lot of flack for that, yeah? Yeah, definitely. It was super uncomfortable for me too. People seem to have this idea that, that uh, you know, I made this decision to eat only potatoes and then I just went and did it and, I, you know, it was easy, whatever, because I'm some sort of freak that can do these things and, and that couldn't be further from the truth, you know. That, that was a super scary thing for me and when I started, I was sure that I wouldn't be able to do it. I just, I didn't see how it could be done but I thought, I might as well give it a try. If I fail, then, you know, life will just, the worst that could happen is that life will just go back to being the way it already is. So I just decided to give it a go. But I, I, by no stretch did I think it was going to be an easy thing. I thought it was impossible, but I, I gave it a try anyway. So yeah, there was that. And, and then it wasn't, you know, my, my wife was really supportive and my friends were really supportive once, you know, initially they made fun of me, but once I explained things and really opened up my heart and soul to, let them know that sort of what sort of problems food had been causing in my life, then, you know, people were very, very supportive. Of course, if, um, if it was just like a spare of the moment, stupid decision that I did to try to get 15 minutes of fame, then people would make fun of me and rightly so. That's something that you should make fun of, I think. But uh, when people realized how important it was to me, then they were all very supportive. But at the same time, I was, you know, I was viral globally. My story was everywhere and, uh, you know, for a while there, I had media experts on TV daily commenting about how stupid I was and how much of an idiot I was. So 
Yeah, I was I was copying it left and right mm. for a while there in newspapers, websites, radio, TV, especially in the beginning when, you know, it only just started. So nobody knew what was going to happen. But a lot of people claimed to know, but nobody really knew. And yeah, late, as the year went on, it was interesting to see how all that criticism changed too, because in the beginning, they could talk about all these deficiencies that I was supposedly going to get and how it was going to ruin my health. But after a year, they couldn't make those claims anymore. So then they had to find something else to No, People generally didn't stop saying I was an idiot. They just, they had to find different reasons to say I was an idiot. <laughs> so. Yeah, and they probably found less and less and less and less because you kept proving them wrong because of your health and your better state of mind and everything. Yeah, well, that was scraping the bottom of the barrel by the end of the year, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet. And... <laughs> I believe that it actually ended up being a year because when you decided to do this, it was pretty much New Year's. So you thought, why not just go for the whole year? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, when I first, uh, you know, that six weeks that we talked about, that six weeks of research, well, that ended uh, just purely by coincidence. It ended three or four days before New Year's Day. And as anyone who's ever done a diet before knows that diets don't start until Monday, um, and for, <laughs> for me, it was, yeah, <laughs> for me, yeah, probably quit smoking, quit drinking, whatever, all those things, they don't happen until Monday. And for me, it was, yeah, well, New Year's Day is just around the corner. I might as well wait until then and before I start. And then, yeah, in that wait time, I, yeah, for some reason, I still don't have a justification for it. It just, the idea came to me that if I'm starting on the 1st of January, I might as well go for the whole year. Yep. Why not? Yeah, so I, I, I did it, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like, that was, that actually, that decision to do it for a year was the only thing that wasn't really well thought out. I just didn't really know why I should do it for a year. It just felt like a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Turned out to be a good one too then, yeah? So, nice yeah, thought. yeah. <laughs> so, that was a bit of a tangent, but uh, I'm glad we got there because um, you know, that was quite helpful. Yeah. As you said, it must have been incredibly difficult in that first period there where there was so-called experts from all around the world just knocking this idea, saying that you're stupid for doing it, that you're going to be unhealthy, it's not going to work, but you proved him wrong, yeah? So good on you for that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was pretty hilarious really in the beginning. Some of the reasons they came up with why I was going to, why everything was going to go wrong, that was, people were obviously had absolutely no idea what they were talking about and they were just experts that felt like they needed to have an opinion on something that they had no idea about. And some things that they clearly could have literally taken 30 seconds on Google to figure out that potatoes have protein. But still, you've got, you've got people that are qualified dietitians going on primetime TV to say that potatoes have no protein, which is blatantly wrong, you know? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was so some of them made me laugh and some of them were just weird and some of them made me annoyed. But yeah, anyway, whatever. <laughs> I, I plowed on. <laughs> Well, I suppose that's what happens though. Hey, for someone who steps out of the normal, for someone who does something a little bit different, for those who don't understand, like, we don't like what we don't understand. So they're just going to find things wrong with it, aren't they? To justify their different ideals, their different ways of thinking. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. I think a lot of people took what I did as an attack on their own ideas when that's mm. not what it was. It was just something I was just trying something because everything else had failed and I just needed to try something else and it felt like a good idea so I was trying it it was I wasn't trying to prove anything to anyone I wasn't trying to make any kind of point I was just doing something for myself and yeah people just I think that's a big thing that people had these 
long-held beliefs and ideas about what good nutrition is and about what potatoes are and about whatever else. And for some reason, my presence doing this thing that challenged their beliefs made people feel like they needed to defend their beliefs. And yeah, anyway, whatever. That's just the way things go. It didn't bother me really that much. Nice one. Um, so again, the, that definition of doing life better and you know, like you are, as you just spoke about and the example of doing that, step out of that comfort zone, have that deeper meaning, that deeper why, you know, coming from that place of love. So thank you for that. And then if you could give our listeners one challenge for this week to help them do their life even better, what would that challenge be? Yeah, that would be for me, I think, what can you remove from your life that can have the potential to improve it. So for me, uh, that was obviously removing food from my life or getting as close as possible to removing food from my life. And, um, you know, life doesn't allow for voids to, to occur. Life doesn't allow for empty space. So I removed food from my life or I got as close to that as I could. And, and my life just became exponentially better and, and various things just moved in to take the place that, that food was taking. And, um, and yeah, everything about my life improved in that year because I, I removed a big part of, you know, what was going on. So, uh, it could be something with food. Maybe you can remove chocolate. Maybe you can remove soft drink, but also it could be any other part of life. Or maybe you could finally remove that friend that is, well, that so-called friend that's not really been at, behaving like a friend, or maybe you could remove your car and start walking to work, or maybe you could remove the TV or maybe you could remove Facebook. It could be a, a lot of different things, but that would be my challenge. What can you remove from your life uh, and allow uh, space for something better to come and take its place? Thanks. That's a good reminder for me too. I've been meaning to read more. Um, you know, I, I keep telling my sons, well, my eldest one is eight, that he needs to read every single day. But here I am not reading every day myself unless it's <laughs> Facebook, Instagram or email. Yeah, so. Yeah. That's going to be my challenge. Thank you for that. Remove one thing for the week. I might start with the TV, see how we go. Yeah, well, that, that'll certainly allow space for reading, but you never know. So I, I wouldn't – my advice would be, yeah, remove the TV, but don't make any rules about what you replace it with because, uh, you know, something even better than reading might come in if you, uh, if you give it a chance. Oh, I like that. Mate, thanks for um, letting us walk you home um, this afternoon. <laughs> No worries. And, Thank uh, you for keeping me company. I'm about I'm about 100 metres from my house now and I'm sitting on a park bench just uh, <laughs> chilling out for a bit. <laughs> oh, nice time. Thank you. And again, thanks for the inspiration that you are um, you know, in terms of backing yourself, um, going outside your comfort zone, even in the face of ridicule and criticism on a global scale for you. That's huge. Um, you know, to, but to keep backing yourself, to keep believing in that why, in that purpose moving forward and then for you to be sharing your story, being so open and vulnerable in terms of sharing that story to help other people do their, their life even better. Um, Andrew, thank you for that. Yeah, again, you've inspired me today to be really careful <laughs> about the example, that, again, that I am to my sons because that's really important to me, but also just to do things more simply uh, and to be more aware of those those thought processes. And, you know, like though not all of us are addicted to different things, we all do have cravings to certain things every now and then. So just that reminder of, you know, when you feel powerless about something, well, you do have a choice. So um, you know, thank you again for, for the difference that you're making in the lives of many. Thank you. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. It's, uh, yeah, it's always nice to have these sort of conversations and be able to 
you know, get below the surface of, of what we do. So, yeah, thank you for, for providing that opportunity to me. And also thank you for doing what you do. I love the idea behind your podcast. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure you're inspiring many to, to do life better, as you say. So, yeah, thank you as well. Pleasure, Andrew. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Cheers. Spot up. So, friends, remember Andrew's challenge for this week, which is remove one thing from your life and see what comes next. See if that gives room for something else positive to enter into your life. So, again, give it a go for this week. And who is that one person you're going to share this episode out with this week? Who is that one person you would like to show that you're there for them, you're there supporting them, helping them out, helping them do their life even better by sharing this message with them today. So please get on there, do that now. Again, remember to share this on social media. Also tag Andrew at SpudFit, tag me in as well. That'd be fantastic. And thank you for everyone who's been joining our Do Life Better community on Facebook. It is a closed group. Thank you for everyone who's been joining that recently. We would love to have you part of the conversation. So please make sure you jump on there as well. And of course, remember to leave a rating and a review and hit subscribe if you haven't yet. By hitting that little subscribe button, that means that you receive every upcoming episode into your inbox. So don't miss out on any of the guests that we have coming up for you. So I hope this chat with Andrew today will help you do your life just that little bit better. And for now, I can't wait to join you next time. Thanks again for listening to the Do Life Better podcast. And have you subscribed yet? By subscribing to this podcast, that enables you to get notifications every single time a new episode is released. In your podcast app, you can find all the show notes for every episode. And if you'd like to get in contact, you can do so via email at hello at projecthatch.com.au. That's hello at projecthatch.com.au. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast, share it with someone you think will benefit from these messages. And now it's time to get out there and do life better.